Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. This is a season of gift giving. That's not news to anybody. My question would be, how are you at receiving gifts? It strikes me that we are, for the most part, not real good at receiving gifts. If you go out to some, with someone to dinner and they buy your dinner, does that bother you? How do you do with that? Do you, um, are you the type that has a hard time with, with things? If they buy your dinner, do you say something like, well, let me at least get the tip, right? Have you ever said that? Well, let me at least get the tip. Or we, we may not do that. What we'll say sometimes is, okay, you get this one, I'll get the next one, right? Because we can't owe somebody. We can't have them taking us out to, to lunch and us not do it back or, you know, we, we got to make sure that there's reciprocity and I can't just let you buy my meal and get, and, and get the tip. I got to do something. Um, and then at Christmas time, it really gets interesting. What's the worst thing that can happen at Christmas time? Besides the in-laws, what's the worst thing that can happen at Christmas time? Actually, my in-laws are great. What, what is the worst thing that can happen is somebody gets you a gift and you didn't get them a gift. And you're standing there and, you know, what do you do in that case? You lie. That's what you do. You say, well, I, you know, thank you very much. I don't have your gift with me. It's still at the store. And as soon as I see what you got for me, I'm going to go buy something commensurate to what you got for me. And, and um, thank you for the gift. I just have to wrap yours right after I buy yours and, and right after I see what you got me. We can't just look at them and say, well, Merry Christmas to me. You know, good for me. You gave me a Christmas present. We, we can't do that. We, 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 why do we feel as if we have to even the score and even it out and make things right? It's just in us to do it that way. We don't want to owe anybody anything. That's natural. But when you and I bring that kind of thinking into our relationship with God, things can get really fouled up really quick. And, and we all do this. When it comes to relating to, talking to, praying to, dealing with, asking things from God, there's something in me that wants to bring along my part of the deal. God, you know me, I promise, um, and remember when I did, and, and God, I'm one of the good guys, I'm on your side, and I'm bringing something with me so that we can do a gift exchange, and I know you're God, and your gift's going to be way bigger than mine, but at least I brought something to the gift exchange. We can't handle the thought that we're coming empty-handed. And here's what this looks like in your life. Here's what it's looked like in my life. I can only assume it's the same for you. You know when you've had a really good week, you've done good things, you know, you gave some money and you helped a little old lady and you prayed and you went to church. And when you pray at the end of a week like that, you come to God with more confidence, don't you? Because you got all this stuff you got to show for it. It's like I, I can boldly come because I got some stuff behind me that's good, and I'm going to look good in front of God. And you point to your good week and your good deeds. Or what about when you've had a bad week? You stayed out too late, or you know, you out messing around doing this, that, or the other, and it caught up with you, and it didn't go good, and things aren't good, and now you got to pray. What's that prayer sound like? Dear God, you know, I know I'm a loser. I love, the, I love it on, on movies whenever they start prayers and they go, it's been a while, God. Yeah, yeah. And God says, yeah, it's been a while. Um, 
You know, it's different. We don't come with as much confidence, do we, when we don't have a bunch of good stuff behind us. When we've got a a week full of misbehavior and bad decisions and bad stuff going down, nobody's in a hurry to have a conversation with God under those circumstances. Here's what I want you to see. Both scenarios, when we come to God based on, look, I've done my part, or when we come to God based on, you know, I didn't do a very good job, I didn't do what I should have, we make the assumption that God views me through the lens of my goodness. And God views me and accepts me through the lens of how well I've done or whether or not I've been able to in some way pay my way. In fact, some of you are here today and you don't, maybe you don't go to church all that often and when you do come to church, you would say, you know, I just feel weird in here. This is not my normal surroundings. I just, when I go to church, it just doesn't feel right. I feel out of place. And, and you know, You would just say, this is not my deal. It just feels awkward for me. Why is that? It isn't that you don't believe in God. I think most people believe in God. It's because you think if he knew what you had done recently, maybe last night, maybe even on the way here this morning, you know, some guy pulls out in front of you and you lose track of who you are and who's around you and things come out of your mouth that are not supposed to come out of your mouth. You get angry over stuff and it's like, I hope nobody saw that or heard that. If these church people knew what I did, and since God knows what I did and what I've been doing, God is viewing me, evaluating me, accepting me based on my performance or lack thereof. It's natural. And there's a tendency for all of us to do this. And it would make perfect sense that God would view us and respond to us and treat us based on our consistency or inconsistency until you read the Christmas story. Because this is the very opposite of the message of the Christmas story. And as I said last week, the Christmas story is pretty familiar to most of us. Many of us have been in the Christmas story, but we've missed the the message, I think, sometimes, and it's not even a subtle message. It's a very bold message that comes through. Today we're going to go back and look at Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to camp out today on one word, one life-changing word. You, you, you know the word. You, you've sung the word. And we go right over it. We don't even pause. We, it doesn't even register with us. We just, we get going and we miss it. Luke chapter 2, we're going to pick up at verse 8. And we're going to look at it for really the next um, week or two. Um, this one solitary word defines our relationship with God and the tendency when it, become, when it comes to a relationship with God as we think about the relationships we have, and we say things like, you know, maybe it's kind of like the relationship I have with my dad, or maybe it's like the one I have with my mom or my siblings. And there are all these relationships we're trying to figure out, how do I talk to, come to, relate to God, and that's why we drag our little bag of goodies in whenever it's time for us to pray, and we sit down and we say, I've done good, or, you know, I haven't done very good at all, and God, I just need lots of mercy today, because My last week hasn't been very good. And I don't have anything good to bring to the gift swap. But I'll get you something later. And and, and the reason we bring all that stuff is because every other relationship we've ever known, that's how it is. That's how we relate to each other is this reciprocity thing. But the great news of Christmas is that it's different than that. It is not conditional. God decided to do something altogether different and new, 
And if we can capture this, this one word, and if this one word can become the lens through which we view our relationship and our approach to God, it will take all of the ought to's and the have to's out of it and all of the, uh, you know, it'll take all the guilt out of relating to God. Let me read this verse and then we will talk about the one word. Luke chapter 2 verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone round them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And we said last week that when you read all the people, that means that this has nothing to do with what you and I have done. It's good news for all the people. This isn't just good news for Jewish people or, or church people or, 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 you know, good people. This is good news for everybody, which means it's an all skate. We're all in on this. This news is not contingent upon or a response to anything or that anyone else has done. This is good news in spite of what we've all done. And it puts us in a category all by ourselves. And then here it is. Verse 11, today in the town of David, a savior, not a king, a savior, not a helper, a savior has been born to you, he is Messiah or he is Christ the Lord. The word today is savior. When God looked down and saw us and saw where we were, he said they don't need a coach, they don't need a silent partner with deep pockets. They don't need an accountant. It's worse than that. They need a savior. And God said, I'm going to make an announcement, and it has nothing to do with trading or purchasing or buying. This has nothing to do with earning or performing. None of that. I'm sending a savior. I'm sending someone to bail you out of the mess you're in, and you aren't going to do anything about it. I'm going to do it for you. And that's why this is good news for everybody. He is the Savior, he is Christ the Lord. Now, let me just give you a heads up, and then we can talk about this. If it ever gets from here to here that God wants to come to you through Christ, the Savior, and if you could ever begin relating and responding to Jesus as Savior, it will transform your perspective of God and your relationship with him, no matter what you believe. No matter how long you've been a Christian or how long you haven't been a Christian, it's going to change all of that. See, your mom and dad are wonderful. You've got a great brother. They're not saviors. That coach, great coach, not a savior. Your boss, great guy, not a savior. There is no parallel for us as to what it means for us to have a relationship with someone who is our savior. We, we're not used to that. We, we don't really think about relating to a savior. Now, I want to back up for a minute. When you read a Savior who is Christ the Lord or Messiah the Lord, we go, oh, yeah, I know, Savior who's Christ the Lord. Yeah, okay, what else you got? Because I knew that coming in, right? You'd say, Brett, I got one of those in the front yard right now. We've got a plastic one in the front yard. We, I know about the Savior. It doesn't excite us. We don't get goosebumps when we read that. And here's the thing. This is so important. If we never come to grips with the fact that we need saving, a Savior is a big yawn. A Savior is nothing more than a nuisance to us. 
If there's never been a time in your life or mine where I was gripped with the fact and overwhelmed with the sense that, oh my goodness, I don't need help. I don't need a second chance. I need saving. I need delivered. I need to be rescued. And until you get there, the idea of a savior is just a a word. It's just a big yawn. It's boring. Who cares? Worse than that, it's a nuisance. It's threatening. (laughs) I heard somebody tell a story about they were sitting at an intersection. And you know how you sit at an intersection waiting on green and and you kind of zone out. And this guy was doing that. He's sitting there, and he kind of zoned out, and his eyes kind of fell to this lady's grill across the way, across the intersection, the grill of her car. And he's looking, and he said there was fire behind her grill. And I came to realize her car was on fire. There was smoke coming out of the bottom. He started, you know, you kind of wake up and realize, oh, my goodness, this is bad. And he's looking, but he's across the intersection. He can't do anything. And he said, I looked at the woman's face. She had no idea. She is oblivious to the idea that her car is on fire. She's sitting there waiting on green. All of a sudden, a guy has noticed what's going on. He dodges traffic to get to her, and she does not see him coming. Okay? So as he approached her car, she looked up, and when she saw him, what does she do? She pulls back. She's reaching down, fumbling for her her locks and her power windows and all those kind of things and then she puts her car in drive and tries to pull away she gets all of about two feet and her car just completely gives out now you know what she's thinking I'm being carjacked this guy wants to kidnap me he wants to hurt me this I got to get out of here and this guy is doing his best to save her So her car goes all of about two feet, and then it stopped, and then the smoke begins to pour out over her car, and she realizes what's going on. And at that moment, she let him help her out of the car because she realized, I'm in trouble, and I need a Savior. I thought he was a threat, but he's here for me. He's trying to do something good. I thought he wanted to carjack me, but he's here out of the goodness of his heart trying to do something for me. I thought he was against me. Turns out he's for me. Now, can you imagine the fun I could have with that story as I make an illustration about Jesus if I was a southern evangelist preacher and I wanted to take that in a completely different direction? By the time you smell the hell of smoke's fire, it's too late. Jesus was standing at the door knocking, and you turned him away. You didn't let him in. You sinned. You said no. And now you'll feel the penalty of sin for the rest. Can you hear it? Can you just hear it? Preach it. Yeah. Don't miss this. This is important. You know, I know some of you think it's funny. Some of you are thinking, man, we need more of that around here for crying out loud. Here's why that's important. For some of you, your whole Christian experience has been the thought that Jesus was trying to interfere with your life and hijack your life. Your whole experience has been you thought Jesus just wanted to mess with all your stuff. 
and your wife keeps playing songs for you and leaving little hints for you and you've got a best friend and he's putting stuff on your Facebook page and sending you the Jesus emails that just drive you nuts, you know, and you're like, oh, not another one, and you delete, delete, delete. You walk into work, you got a new job, you walk into work, you find out your boss is a Christian and he's outspoken and it's like, oh, goodness gracious. Your coworker is a Christian, they got fish all over everything they own and you're like, I can't get away, can't get away. And you just want to say, good night, just leave me alone with the Jesus thing. I've had it, I don't want to hear anymore. See, when you think you need, when you don't think you need, Saving, rescuing, delivering. The idea of a savior is a big yawner. Or worse than that, it's, it's threatening. Many of you spent years of your life running, saying basically, God, leave me alone, leave me alone, Jesus. I don't want anything to do with that. And then, boom, you ran into something and realized, wait a minute, I need saving. Save me! And it's just like, you can't run to Jesus fast enough. Some of you in this room could tell that story. I ran from God, ran from God, ran from God, and then one day it became very clear to me, I need to be running to God. And what was so threatening and terrible and horrible and culturally irrelevant and stupid to us, all of a sudden became a lifeline. Many of you in here this morning could tell that story. See, if you don't think you need saving, the idea of a Savior is bad news. It's not good news. It's threatening news, but the reason Southern evangelists are wrong when they try to scare us into believing is because Jesus is a savior. Jesus is not a scarer. God's approach to saving us oftentimes reinforces our confusion about him because, you see, he's never going to come up to the car door and rip the car door off and grab you by the nape of the neck and rip you out of the of the burning, smoking car of your life. That's just not how he does it. He'll never do that. God's approach to saving us is to stand back on the sidelines until we break, until the car fills up with smoke and we say, help me, until life just doesn't work anymore or we're laying on our deathbed, or we realize that all that psychological junk that we made up and evolution and if God this, then that, and all that stuff that we've used for years to keep people away from us, and all of a sudden we're on our deathbed and we're like, wait a minute, none of that stuff's working anymore, and I'm clinging to any kind of hope. And I'm going to whatever's next, and I don't have a clue what it is. I need a Savior. Whenever it happens to you, you know, you got a prodigal kid that goes off and you can't, can't reach him and get to him. You got marriage trouble. You got a relationship that blows up. Whenever you decide, I need a savior, your savior is standing there and he says, Okay, now I will deliver you. I will save you, but I'm not going to force myself on you. I have too much respect for you, and I'm giving you the freedom to choose me. Let me, I want to read to you a verse from Romans. Paul's talking to some Christians who thought, since God's not talking to me or since God's not ripping me out of the car, you know, that's on fire, maybe he doesn't care. Since God's not calling me out of the burning car, maybe I can just go ahead and do what I want with my life. And for some in here, maybe 
this sheds new light that what Paul says. Maybe this is a news flash or this might be brand new stuff for somebody. Listen to this verse and remember, he's talking to Christians. Romans chapter 2 verse 4, or do you show contempt for the riches, that means there's a lot of it, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience? Pause. You know what that means? That means as long as you're running from God and see no need of a Savior, God's response will be kindness, tolerance, and patience. Not realizing, and boy, there are a bunch of us who have not realized this, not realizing that God's kindness, not scare tactics, not threats, not bad dreams, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Now, repentance is just a big church word that that I try not to use a whole lot, and I've been criticized for it. I try to use different words in its place because you hear repentance and people just scatter like they think they're going to hear southern evangelist preaching but repentance just literally means you change your mind about who God and Jesus is that's God's strategy to bring you to the place where you say I need saving I need delivering I need a savior I can't do this anymore on my own God's strategy is bringing you to that place where you say It's his kindness and tolerance and patience, not threats. But he is so quiet about it that we just kind of drive along in our car and it's on fire and we're burning down our life and everything's fine. God's not bothering me and quit talking to me about Jesus and quit talking to me about God. I'm fine. And God says, go ahead. I'll take no for an answer. And we say, you know, I'll do whatever I want. I'll sleep with whoever I want. God says, you do what you want. I'm not going to interfere. But because I am infinite in my kindness and my patience and my tolerance, I will not bother you. But the moment, the millisecond, the day, the week, the hour that you decide, I need help. I need to be saved. My life is burning down, my health, my marriage, my relationships, whatever it is. When you wake up and realize, I have nothing to trade or barter with. I can't earn it. I don't need help. I don't need a second chance. I need saving. In that moment, the Savior, who is Christ the Lord, will intersect your life. And everything changes. Now, I want to give you a heads up. This may be offensive, and I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings or drive anybody away, but let me just tell you, if you're here today and you don't think you need saving and you think everything is fine, let me just tell you, you need a Savior. You need one. Every time you look in the mirror, you are looking at a person who needs saving, not just from heaven and hell someday, not just for that. You need saving now. If you can't save yourself, what makes you think you can do anything about eternity? You cannot save yourself from stuff now. Let, let's just be honest, okay? It's Christmas and we're all friends. Let's just, let's just be honest. How many of you have some habits that you would like to be saved from? And if I preached a sermon 
And I had you convinced that if you'll just come down front and shake my hand, whatever your bad habit is, is going to go away. If I could get you convinced of that, and you thought that was really true, we'd have a line all the way out the building of people wanting to come shake my hand to get rid of their habit. Heck, I'd come shake my own hand. I got my own habits. I'd be, you know, I'm me, so I'd be first in line. But how, how many of you have a, right now, how many of you have a bad habit? Raise your hand. How many of you have a bad habit you'd like to get rid of? And we got a couple of perfect people, but for the most part. So go ahead. All right, go ahead. I, we got a few minutes. I'll wait on you. Fix your problem. G- get rid of that bad habit. You, you don't need a savior. Go ahead and fix it, dude. If you're that good, I, we got a little time. So you go, well, I can't. No, it's not done work like that. You're all powerful, and yet you would say, well, I don't really need a savior. Come on. Some of us got anger issues that we cannot get on top of which was demonstrated by the unholy hour before the holy hour this morning. How in the world are you going to save yourself? You can't even keep yourself from getting upset to the point that you make everybody mad all around you. Almost said something else. That wasn't good. You need a savior. And you need one now. Alcohol. Save yourself. You say, Brett, I'm trying. For some, it's tobacco issues. Some of you, it's money issues. Some of you, it's morality stuff. Some of you, your thought life is a a mess, health issues. Every time we look in the mirror, we are dying. Every time we look in the mirror, we are reminded, we, I, you, need a Savior. There are things in this life I cannot save myself from. It is a daily reminder of my need for a Savior now and for eternity. And God says, I'm patient, I'm tolerant. You drive that broken down old thing as long as you want. Burn it down. Drive that burning life. Drive that burning relationship. Go on, I'm not going to bother you. But I'm telling you, the moment you throw your hands up and say, oh, I I need a savior, God says, I will be right there. Rick Warren is a name you might know. He wrote one of the best-selling books of all time called The Purpose-Driven Life. Um, It's amazing that any book that starts out with this life is not about you, it's amazing that that book could be a bestseller, but his was. He, He said this, you don't need a Savior because you might die tonight. You need a Savior because you have to live tomorrow. I need a Savior You need a Savior because we got to live tomorrow. Let's get real for a minute. Some of us have had marriages burned to the ground. We couldn't save our marriage. And you say, well, Brett, time out. Now, hold on. There were two of us, all right, and I did everything I could to save it. It wasn't my fault. I can't control another person. Exactly. And you couldn't save your marriage. You can't save the most important relationship to you. You couldn't save it. Well, Brett, it was out of my control. Exactly. You couldn't save it. But somehow you don't need a savior for all of eternity. You couldn't save your kids. They walked off. They did their own thing. They didn't want to hear from you. You prayed. You begged. You bartered with God. And you could not save that relationship. Come on. 
Every day I'm reminded, I look in the mirror, I need a Savior, not just for when I die. Every day I look in the mirror and I see I need a Savior for today. Look, if we can't save ourselves from the little bitty stuff of today, how in the world can we live our lives and not think that we need a Savior? For eternity. Here's where Christianity is so liberating. You see, the relationship between the saved and the saver, or the relationship between the rescued and the rescuer, or the delivered and the deliverer, is unlike any other relationship. It is a powerful relationship. If you've ever watched the movie Gladiator, which is one of my favorites, at the very end, uh, Gladiator has fallen. He, not spoiler alert, he's going to die, but um, there's a moment there where there's a whole region of the country that's basically been saved by the actions of this man. And there's this powerful exchange between the saved, the people who benefited, and the Savior. Um, the opening and closing of Saving Private Ryan, you see the same thing, this, this powerful exchange between the one who was saved and the one who did the saving. And nobody requires it. It just happens between the saved and the one that did the saving. Here's what happens. When someone comes along and saves you from something, if they come along and they, they help you with your marriage or they come along and they, they save you in some emotional way or a doctor comes along and saves your life, something happens automatically and here's what happens. The first thing that happens is unfiltered emotion. What you feel is what you feel and nothing changes it. And then there's unsolicited devotion. You would follow them anywhere and you would do anything for them. So it's unfiltered emotion and unsolicited devotion. What you would say is, here are all my numbers, here's my email, here's where I live. If you ever need anything, you let me know and I'll be there. After what you've done for me, I don't care day or night, you just call and I'll come running. You saved me. Unfiltered emotion I'll do whatever, I, I feel this way about you, can't change it. Unsolicited devotion, you just name it and I'll do it. You saved me. See, that's different than, well, you know, I really ought to. I really ought to. And if you're in a place where you're, you're thinking, you know, I really ought to, then you've missed the message of Christmas. You don't understand Christianity. You don't understand Jesus. If, if you're going around saying, you know, I really ought to, you've missed it. And when that gets from your head to your heart, it alters the approach to everything else. The, the, the New Testament's clear on this because it's all within the context of he is a Savior. And throughout the New Testament, throughout our experience, Jesus never takes off the Savior robe. He's always a Savior. One day he will be king, not yet. One day he will be judge, not yet. He's just Savior. And he says, I, ju I just want you to come to me and relate to me with an attitude that says, of course I'll follow you. You saved me. That's different than, well, I really ought to. See, when you've been saved, you start doing the right things for the right reason. You ever had somebody do something for you that was so huge you couldn't believe their benevolence and generosity? Have you ever had somebody 
give you a gift that was so huge that you, you could not find an adequate way to say thank you for the gift. I mean, you wanted to say thank you, but you go, thank you. I'm going to walk up to them and say thank you after what they've done. I mean, their gift was so huge, and thank you is all I've got. You ever had somebody be so good to you, and they ask you for, any, they ask you for something, and you're like, anything. You know, they're getting ready to ask you something, and you go, yes, I'll do it. And they say, well, Brett, I haven't even asked you. You haven't even heard what I'm going to ask you. I don't care. After what you've done for me, here's all my digits. Here's my email. You, you name it, I'll do it. I don't care what it is. Well, Brett, don't you think you should hear what it is first? No, because after what you've done for me, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm going to do it. See, it's, it's unfiltered emotion, and it's unsolicited devotion. Jesus Christ came to earth to save you and me, to die on a cross, forgive our sins, and if that ever makes its way from our head to our heart, your answer to him will be, yes, Jesus, I will follow you, ask me and I'll do it. It doesn't matter what it is, I'm going to do it. How could I not follow you after you've done for me what you've done for me? And you will live a life of thanksgiving and gratitude and your life will be changed, changed. If you, were, if you were at a lake and you were swimming and all of a sudden you realized, wait a minute, I'm in trouble. I'm, I'm going down here and I, I'm struggling to stay on top of the water. And then you really start to fight for it. And you're now you're starting to fight for your breath and, it, and it's, it's gone to like DEFCON 5. It's a bad thing. Here's what you're not going to do. You know, I really should cry out right now. But I would just be so embarrassed. I mean, I don't want to make a scene. I, you know, all these people are going to start looking at me, and I don't want people to look at me and make a scene. No. You're going to scream, help me. You know why? Because you need, at that moment, a Savior. You need somebody to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. I want you to, we're going to close in just a minute, I promise. We're going to beat the Baptist this morning. But I want to do an exercise with you this morning, and I just want you to indulge me, okay? Um, I want you to get yourself as quiet as you can get. I want you to relax. I want you to, to be able to bow your head and close your eyes for a minute because I want you to imagine a couple of things with me, okay? I'm going to give you a minute to just kind of get there. I want to give you three images to imagine or to remember in one case. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to think about the worst behavioral moment in your life, Okay? That thing that when you think about praying to God, you think, oh, this is the reason I don't want to talk to God, because he knows about that. And that is the worst moment of my life. If I could change anything in my life, it would be that decision at that moment, because I've tried to live that down, and I've tried to get past it, and it's been a block between me and God for my whole entire life, and I'm so ashamed, and I'm so embarrassed by that moment. Okay, you got that moment? It might be several. You may have several. You may have a string of them, but at least one. That's the first scenario. 
The second scene is this. I want you to put yourself at the foot of the cross as Jesus dies on the cross. And I want you to hear the soldiers banging on nails. I want you to hear Jesus going through the seven sayings of Jesus as he dies on the cross. Hear him forgiving the thief. Hear him look down on soldiers and and forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they're doing. I want you to smell the death in the air, and I want you to, the best you can, I want you to put yourself there in that moment where Jesus is dying on a cross to forgive that first thing that you imagined. He's dying on a cross because of that thing and everything else in your life that's just like it. And then I want you to imagine the third scene, which is whenever it happens and you have passed from this life and you go to be with God. And I don't know whether you walk through a gate. I don't know what it looks like when we first hit heaven and when we first see Jesus, but that's what I want you to imagine is that moment when you lay eyes on Jesus and he lays eyes on you. And he's got that smile. And he's coming at you and both arms are extended and he is gonna envelop you in the biggest hug you've ever experienced and that's when it dawns on you, everything Brett told me is right. He has forgiven me. And there is a heaven. And he did die for me. And man, this is awesome. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Keep your eyes closed. Scenario three will never happen unless in scenario two, you place your faith in it. And you say, I need a savior. I need need that to happen because of scenario one, which is all my bad behavior. I need a savior. Scenario three, an embrace from Jesus will never, glory will never happen unless you place your faith in the saving work that Jesus did on the cross and understand that he has forgiven you of everything that you've ever done and everything that you ever will do, but you have to receive the gift of forgiveness. Now, everybody look up for a minute. I'm just going to say it one time so that you get it. You need a Savior. You do. You do. Let's pray. God, overwhelming is really the word that I would use when I really start to think about your love for me. I don't deserve it. I'm unworthy, but you made me, and because you made me, you love me. It's the same way us as parents, there are kids, we love them even when they mess up, we love them. We are your children, and you are crazy about us. You want so much for us. And what you want more than anything is the same thing we want from our kids. We want a great relationship with our kids. We want them to run to us with their hurts. We want to celebrate their victories. We want to revel in their achievement and watch them grow and and achieve and be good parents and be good workers and good citizens. That's what we want, God, and that's what you want out of us. You you just want to 
revel in relationship with us. And so often we run. We think you want to punish us and we think you're mad and we think that you, you're out to get us. God, you're patient and you're tolerant and you'll wait. God, I pray this morning that the person that's been just putting it off and putting it off, and they know, they know. They don't need me to tell them. They already know. I pray that today would be the day that they say, you know what? I need a Savior. Father, we worship you in this moment. We thank you for Jesus, especially at this time of year. We're just reminded of how frail and fragile he was coming into this world, but he was a lion who would fight for us and redeem us back to you. We're thankful for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray.